Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. Well, it's time to get started with our next episode as we uh, meet practitioners working in the accessibility area. And today I'm talking with Ricardo Rodriguez. Hello, Ricardo. Hello. Hey, it's good to uh, be having this conversation with you. Um, I'm talking from my home office on Vashon Island near Seattle. Uh, where are you talking to us from? Uh, beautiful San Diego, California. Well, uh, it's uh, uh, good to be able to work with you again. We've worked together uh, in uh, project activities at Blink. Uh, you've also uh, attended the Convey UX conference in Seattle and, and helped out with that. So I'm happy to have you as part of this uh, activity. I'm always happy to help. Well, uh, just to uh, kind of recap some of the things that uh, we've been involved with together. Uh, so there have been uh, some projects uh, that that we've had, including our work with NASA, where you've uh, helped out by uh, uh, providing feedback in some of the things that we're doing in research design, uh, you know, based on your own familiarity with accessibility. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, you know the, that kind of work and and how you approach it and in uh, your work as a freelance accessibility consultant. Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. So for me, the main project is always trying to figure out what are the needs that the project is trying to accomplish, and what are areas need to be improved upon when it comes to accessibility because one of the things that i've always noticed myself uh, whether it's uh, in projects or you know just learning about things is that when things are designed or projects are designed they're not always designed with accessibility in mind and that's not really the issue of the designers or developers it's mainly that they don't have the experience in that field so a lot of things that are issues don't really register right away so looking at it from the perspective of someone who has specific challenges or specific needs, you're able to see what are some areas of improvement that other parties may not be able to, and you can help them on improving those areas. Yeah, and your, your work's been really uh, helpful. And uh, you know, as someone that uh, he has uh, he had physical challenges, you know, that gives us uh, uh, remarkably useful uh, uh, insights into the as as we uh, design and, and build out new products. Uh, maybe we could uh, kind of go back in time and you could share with us a little bit about your story of uh, you, how you've gotten to this point. Uh, sure. So for me, I was always a bit of a challenge. I grew up in the late 90s, you know, limited access to Internet until the early 2000s. So it wasn't easy finding resources to be able to get help for certain challenges that you may have compared to net, compared to the ease of access we have now. 
So for me, it was always a challenge finding the resources to do well in school with my mobility impairments or my vision or my motor skills, especially my cognitive challenges were always difficult to find resources because you weren't as connected back then as you are now. So for me, it always strove to instill a need of what are the resources that I can get locally? What can I find that's going to be able to make this easy for me as opposed to struggle because I don't have access to the resources or the knowledge on where to go? Nowadays, it's a lot more complex just because of the fact that you have a lot of products that are being developed, but without the understanding of certain challenges, right? But there is still a move to be able to learn what are the gaps that our product is in meeting and who can we reach out to to kind of fill in those gaps. And doing that sort of work has always been something that I've always enjoyed just because it helps create an awareness of what the issue is and it makes things more inclusive. Well, I, you know, we're working with you today. Uh, you know, it's almost, uh, uh, you know, hard for me to, uh, you know, to understand how you were able to, uh, you know, overcome so much uh, because um, you, you really had those uh, multiple uh uh, challenges that you had to deal with, and you mentioned them with the uh, visual impairment, also mobility, uh, and then some cognitive challenges. Uh, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit, you know, more about that, and you know what, you know what types of uh, things you worked through in your own life to be able to, uh, you know, uh, adjust to it and get to where you are today. Sure. So, um, as I mentioned, I was born in the late 90s with limited access to resources. Um, basically, I was born essentially five months premature, so I didn't develop as well as one normally does. So, the diagnosis at the time was I had cerebral palsy, ADHD, limited vision, and I was also slightly retarded, um, as the term used to be called. So, because of that, I was always severely delayed. I couldn't do things that a normal three-year-old could do, right? Um, I wasn't cognitive of what was happening around me because of my severe delays. I was just aware that, you know, I was looking at things, but I didn't actively register what it was that I was looking at or what it was that was happening to me. Um, it, once I got older, I was still, you know, 11 years old with the mentality of a three-year-old. So I, my brain hadn't caught up yet with the fact that, hey, I'm, a, I'm 11 now. Um, I can now register what's happening. Um, it wasn't until I started getting some support that slowly but surely, as technology and access to resources and knowledge started coming out, I started to develop little by little with a good support system. I started to be able to, for example, you know, learn how to read, you know, learn how to pronunciate my letters, which you do at a very early age, you know, by the time you're three or four, most children are already able to, you know, speak and have, you know, somewhat understandable conversations. And here I was starting to, you know, just barely do my ABCs. So it was a lot of work to be able to kind of get to the point of where I'm at now, where I can go ahead and I can travel and you know attend events and do community sponsored things 
there are some challenges that remain, obviously, some things that I'll never be able to do. I'll never be able to drive, for example, given my vision. But, you know, getting from point A to point B isn't necessarily a challenge anymore as long as I do it, you know, with uh, safety in mind. I can't be going out and traveling at like 9 p.m. at night because of my vision. But everything else, we've developed as a society to a point where I can do a lot of the things that I need to now because of the level of technology and access that we have now that just really wouldn't be possible in the early 90s when I was growing up. Well, I, I want to come back and dig into, uh, you know, how we work to uh, improve uh, our digital products and services with respect to those physical challenges. But maybe for the next uh, uh, piece, you could talk a little bit about how you started to become interested in accessibility as uh, a professional practice. When did you start thinking about it as something that uh, you might want to uh, commit more of your uh, regular work, work life to? So for me, one of the things that, uh, one of the very first projects that I actually took on before um, my current job is I was working for a nonprofit called the Center Preachers Foundation, and they were doing a training program specifically for disabled youth. And it's something that I had never actually considered just being uh, of a disabled background myself, like what are the challenges that people with disabilities have with gaining employment? So one of the things that I had to do from that perspective is how do we make the hiring process or the interview process more accessible to these youth? How do we make the curriculum that we're going to be going through and the interview process more accessible to them? And it's something that really got me into looking at these are the things that we have to ask. What accommodations do they need? How can we, how can we make it easier for them to be able to integrate into the workforce? And it's something that at the time I never really expected I'd be doing later on as I got older uh, and developed more into a consultant because the lessons I learned there really branched out and helped me look at it from a wider perspective of this is how it affects this particular field, but what about other products and services? How does it affect kiosks, for example? How does it affect people that are designing buildings? Do they design things that are wide enough for a wheelchair to fit through? Or do they not really think of that from an accessible standpoint because they only think about a regular person when they're designing these living quarters? Well, uh, you know, one of the reasons that uh, I've been doing these interviews is to help people who are new to uh, learning about accessibility realize that uh, we all have different journeys that take us into specializing in that. Uh, you know, was, was there a time when uh, you uh, realized that there are actually people uh, working in accessibility where it was their uh, regular full-time job to uh, be trying to improve things? For me, one of the first uh, times I actually learned about that um, was actually at the Blink UX concert uh, conference that we that I went to. Uh, what was it two years ago? Um, basically, because it was something that I had never been to a conference like that before. I've been to other conferences for other things, but never for one that was specifically geared towards 
accessibility and just creating that awareness of it. And it was the first time where I've been in a location surrounded by other people with similar interests where it's like, hey, we're all here talking about the same thing. We're, we're covering different aspects of it. And we just want to share ideas and share resources on how to make products across a wide variety of areas more inclusive in their design. And we're doing that by including people who are subject matter experts because they are familiar with accessibility, whether it's from a lived perspective like my own or whether it's because they learned about accessibility and now they are doing it professionally and they are really, really interested in doing it, not just because it looks good, but because it creates a more inclusive product that everyone can access. Well, your uh, lived experience is, is certainly something that uh, is valuable as we uh, uh, look to designing new products and services. Uh, what, maybe let's uh, dig into uh, the specific physical challenges and uh, kind of go one by one. And um, you could talk about you know, what issues that you've encountered in, in your own life and then uh, you know, what types of things you carry over into your analysis. And so one of those would be uh, uh, your uh, visual impairment. Uh, so uh, you know, kind of what's your lived experience for that and, and how do you approach it uh, when you're helping out as a consultant? So for me, like with my visual impairment, my thing, um, basically is I am extremely nearsighted. Um, it also just limits my ability to be able to see things. So for me, anything that I use, any document that I have to read has to either have the ability to be zoomed in so I can read it bigger or I have to have the ability to like just change the font so I can read it without straightening myself. So the first thing that I look at when I'm looking at a product uh, it doesn't really matter if it's um, a software or a game or anything like that. Anything that has basically written dialogue is, for me, like the font size. Is the font size something that I can change or that I can look at? Um, the second aspect of it is, does it have a good color contrast? Am I able to read it properly or do I have to take great pains, like copying it into something else to be able to legibly read it? Because the background and the font really just don't match and I have to strain my vision to be able to read it. Um, anything like that is just a big challenge for me. Fortunately, nowadays, most locations or most avenues have really good color contrast. Um, you do run into the one off product that you know may have like the, the terrible color contrast that just needs improvement. Um, but most of the time, I've seen at least the color contrast is good. The main thing that I usually have to worry about is just the really small font that uh, they decided to implement or when they try to be fancy and like, oh, we're going to use this cursive font that, you know, most people can't read anymore because they don't teach it. That's very difficult for people like me to be able to read because not only in some cases have you just forgotten it, in most cases it's just so small that even if you tried to actually increase the font size, it really wouldn't help. Well, what, one of the things that uh, that we do as accessibility professionals is, is try to uh, make our uh, our team members understand that there, there are so many assistive devices that are out there 
uh, that that can help physical challenges, but it requires that uh, uh, that you're not doing things that in the in the software that prevents you from being able to make the necessary ad adjustments with your assistive devices. Yeah, no, and that's and that's always something that it goes back to being able to design things in a way where it's open for other people. One thing that I've noticed um, is just the fact that in certain cases, basically, just that lack of knowledge can inadvertently create barriers, but the willingness to learn how to design things better is always going to be an asset because then you understand, okay, instead of implementing this nice looking cursive font, Instead, I'll do something else that's more easy to read for everyone else. It might not look as fancy, but ultimately, if it improves the people's ability to be able to use it and read it, that should be the end goal, as opposed to let's make this look all nice and fancy, even if some people are not able to read it. Mm -hmm. And uh, another uh, physical challenge is, is uh, uh, mobility. Uh, so maybe talk a little bit about your experience with that, with uh, digital products and, and how you comment on that as a consultant. Um, so for me, like the main mobility aspect that I have is mainly just essentially motor skills. Um, when I was growing up, I did have significantly more, but now it's limited to motor skills. So if, if I'm going ahead and I'm using a kiosk, for example, um, or a machine, right? One of those regular ATMs or just a regular machine. The main thing for me has always been an issue of like not requiring you to do rapid movements essentially right away. Because for me, it takes time for me to be able to grab something and orient things a certain way. Um, video games are basically a good example where they have certain actions you have to take and you have to do them very, very rapidly. For me, those are very difficult to do just because of the fact that it takes me a while to be able to do things using a controller or a handheld or anything like that. So really rapid responses are something where it's just exceedingly difficult to perform because of how the product was designed, where they're asking you to do a specific move set in a very rapid fire method. And it's for me, it just creates a toll on me. And uh, then that kind of brings us to uh, the uh, third one I wanted to talk about, which is cognitive challenges, which which for me is the area of accessibility where uh, there's been the least amount of uh, improvement overall. I think uh, we, we pay a lot of attention to uh, sight and mobility and, and, and sound with closed captions, but with cognitive challenges, I think that's an area that just a lot of organizations, even if they're involved in accessibility, aren't aren't really sure how to uh, how to approach it. So maybe talk a little bit about um, your experiences in, in that area and the challenges you encounter. So for me, like one of the main challenges that I've always seen is that, like as a society as a whole, right, we always want to be able to seem that we're smart. All right, when we're designing products and services, we want to be able to see that we are very smart and, there, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. The main challenge when designing product or services, though, specifically with cognitive the challenges in mind, is the fact that 
it goes over so many heads that designing simple is best. Designing things in a way where you're describing things one step at a time without using any excessive words or, or you know, terms that regular people who feel, or people who, for example, may not have gone to college are not going to understand is something that it's a simple concept, but it's not really implemented that often. Um, and it's something that I've always seen because people like myself who have cognitive challenges, like, and it's unusual because I work in tech, but it's because I have cognitive challenges that even working in tech, I still design, okay, we're going to do this one step at a time. First, we're going to do this, and then this next step, and then this third step to finish up the project or whatever activity we're doing. And it's something that what I've seen using certain products or services or websites, it's not done that way. They have an expectation where people are automatically going to understand a certain set of complicated instructions without being told exactly what to do for step one or for step two or for step three. And the challenge with that is not only is it ignoring the fact that not everyone using that same product or service is going to be at the same educational level, it's ignoring the fact that not everyone is going to be at the same cognitive level as well, where some people like myself would, can still be very high functioning, but we still need some sort of breakdown in terms of the steps to do a certain thing. Um, like a good example that I always reference, uh, basically, is those IKEA um, catalogs, uh, when you have to actually build something. All it is is just pictures. It's like that doesn't tell me what I'm doing. Um, you know, so like using that one as a, as a good example, just looking at a reference point, me being visually impaired and just looking at this and not having any actual instructions, it is like the most challenging thing to do because I'm not being told specifically what to do in a step-by-step -step instruction. And we're, we're working on an article together uh, related to this and, and one of the things that uh, you brought out in that is, uh, for example, if you're filling out a form or working through a procedure, is that uh, uh, the that that your short-term memory uh, it, it doesn't necessarily carry over uh, too long, so that you know even within uh, individual steps, uh, it's it's useful for you to have continue to have detail about what to do and then. Uh, what the next step is. Exactly. Um, using just some forms that I've seen uh, on the internet, for example, they'll have like, oh, uh, please put in this information. And then at the bottom, when you're done with the information, it'll say this information will be used for this or that. And for me, with my brain thinking is like, you should be telling me why I need to put in this information at the very beginning before I get to that information as opposed to at the very end. Because then if I'm forgetting why I'm putting it, I can just reference it at the very top. Oh, this is why I'm doing it. Uh, and then just fill it out. And if I need to, it's at the very top of the form and it flows just a lot better. Whereas 
If the information's at the bottom, I would have forgotten why I'm putting it in. Oh, why is my name up here? I don't remember anymore. Because I'm not being told exactly why I need to put it in, in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. And in the article, we uh, we get into hint lines that disappear and pop-ups that, that may not persist. Uh, one of the other areas that you uh, uh, brought up was when, uh, yeah, I think you referred to it as just too many things going on or, you know, a really busy screen and, and that focus can be an issue. Uh, yep, definitely. Because for me, like nowadays, it's, it's not as bad as when I when I was younger, um, but I still suffer somewhat from my ADHD um, challenges where it's like if I'm reading an article or if there's too much, I kind of have to like break it down into sections. But if I see an ad or something or a banner just pops up, my attention is immediately diverted to that. And like, I'll forget where I was, like, what was I reading? What column was I on? What was I trying to do? Because it just diverts so much from what I was doing. And it just creates uh, a challenge in being able to finish whatever article or activity I was trying to do. Yeah, well, I think uh, everyone will find this information uh, very helpful. And, and uh, I think our article will have a a lot of good info as well. Uh, for you, just uh, you know, looking ahead, uh, you know, what types of things are are you working on? You know, what are you looking forward to in the the next part of your career? So for right now, I'm still freelancing. Um, basically, uh, I am currently going to be in the process of mentoring some people on accessibility with a new volunteer uh, group that just opened up. Uh, in the long term, I do plan on being able to land an official accessibility job down the line, uh, just because that is something that, for me, is always near and dear to my heart. It's not something where it would just be a job, but something where I can help make products more accessible for a wide variety of people would be just the end goal for me long term. All right. Well, great. Ricardo, it's been uh, you know, great talking with you. Thank you for sharing your ideas. It's also uh, been good to work with you, and I look forward to doing that some more. And uh, hopefully we can get together at some point uh, at a physical event again in the future. Yeah, definitely. It's always happy to, I was hopeful to lend a hand. So we'll have to see when that is. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye, Ricardo. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. 
If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design. We can move existing designs to development in a sprint, and maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.